0: Today is July the 5th, and our passage for today is Amos chapter 2. Well, it is a continuation of chapter 1, because Amos does not even take a deep breath. We have discovered his formula, where he says, for three transgressions of, and he names a city or a country, And for four, I will not turn away its punishment. This is God speaking, saying over and over again, I have given you mercy over and over again. You have spurned my grace and my mercy. You have turned away and continued in your sin. And God says, I've had enough. And so Damascus is going to be judged. Gaza is going to be judged. Tyre is going to be judged. Edom is going to be judged. And Ammon is going to be judged. Now remember, Ammon was one of the two sons that came from one of two of Lot's daughters through an incestuous relationship after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. These daughters got their father drunk to the point to where he didn't know where he was or who he was or what he was doing. It's hard to believe, but that's what he did. They had incestuous sex with their father, and from that came from Father Moab and Ammon. And when we come to chapter two, the second brother, which had land just beside and bordered his brother Ammon, Ammon was to the north. The Ammonites and the Moabites were to the south, just over the Jordan River, east of the Jordan River. Moab was along the Dead Sea, the northern end of the Dead Sea on the eastern side of the Jordan River, where the Jordan River runs into the Dead Sea, having come out a hundred miles north up at the Sea of Galilee, Ammon was just north of there, and then Gilead, and then you were in uh, the Galilee area of the Golan. And so in chapter 2, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four I will not turn away punishment, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. Now, let me just stop and say that God made us body, soul, and spirit. For those of you who are dichotomous, believe that the soul and spirit cannot be separated. That's fine. You're talking about the material and immaterial part. And let me just say parenthetically, no one can separate the soul and the spirit but God and the word of God. But he's very capable of doing that because they're two separate entities, according to Hebrews chapter 4 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Because he burned the bones of the king of Edom. That is, these Moabites not only destroyed and killed the king of Edom, but they burned his bones and desecrated his body. You see, the burning of the body is desecration. And the only time this was allowed in Scripture was when the body was already desecrated through decapitation or mutilation. For instance, in the case of Saul and Jonathan and the Philistines killing them, hanging their bodies on the walls at at and the men from Jabesh Gilead across the river just north of Ammon in this particular passage. They came and they took down the body of Saul and Jonathan. Saul had been good, had rescued the people of Jabesh Gilead, and they wanted to show their appreciation, so they walked all night, came across the Jordan Valley, across the river, and they took down the body and then gave it a uh, proper burial. But they burned uh, the body because it had been desecrated but that's not the normal way of burial now i've already done a podcast on cremation versus burial and i don't want to get into that but just to say god made us body soul and spirit and in america christians are burning their dead very much like the heathen did during the days of antiquity that's not the preferred way of dealing with and honoring the body that God has made after death. And this brought judgment down on the people of Moab. It's the first thing mentioned. He said, I'll send fire upon Moab, and I will devour the palaces of Kiriath. This was the place. Remember, the Moabites were the ones who worshiped Molech. Molech is the one who had the children to be sacrificed to him. This was what was happening with the sons of Hezekiah in Guy ben Hinnom, the valley of Hinnom, the Gehenna Valley just south of Jerusalem, Asha and his brothers were offering their sons and daughters on the altar to the Chemosh and Molech from the Moabites. And these were ungodly, unthinkable sins. Kiriath was the place where the palace of Molech was. And he said, Moab shall die in tumult. Now, when God says that, he means it. With shouting and trumpet sound, I will cut off the judge from its midst and slay all the princes with him, says the Lord. And then God turns to Judah. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not take away its punishment because they have despised the law of the Lord. Now, in chapter 2, God deals with not only Judah, but he deals also with Israel. He gets around to Israel because that is, he wanted to show the wickedness of the nations around and basically show Israel that they have a higher accountability than all of the heathen nations around. And if God was going to judge them, certainly he would judge his people who have a higher accountability. Now, why do I say that? Because in chapter 2, what what I just read to you, and this verse four, God says, He's going to judge Judah because they knew better. They were not like the heathen. They despise the law of the Lord. And the reason they despise is because they had it. The other nations did not. And it says, they have not kept his commandments. Their lies led them astray, lies which their fathers followed. But he said, I will send fire upon Judah, and I will devour the palace of Jerusalem. And he did. And uh, no doubt, some in authority were cheering, saying, well, this is good. That means we'll take over. No, they wouldn't, because God wasn't finished with the formulas. For three transgressions and for four, this is verse 6, I will not turn away its punishment because they sell the righteous for silver. They sell the righteous for silver. He's talking about Israel and the poor for a pair of sandals. They pant after the dust of the earth, which is the head of the poor, and pervert the way of the humble. Look at this. A man and his father go into the same girl, defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge. Now, this is interesting because you read a lot about this in the Word of God, about taking a pledge when, when the poor would need money many times they would go to those who had means and they would say uh, if you will help me I will pay you back I will give my garment I'll give my very cloak as a, a pledge that I will pay you well what was happening is even in the night time These wealthy people, those who had means, were keeping the garments of the poor. And this is what they covered up with. They were actually being ugly and mean like lords who were masters over another's fate. And they would not give their clothes back to them at night so that they could cover up with them because that's all they had. It was their cover. And God said, I don't like that. You can demand that they pay you back. I'm not asking that you give your means to another. I mean, God's not a communist. He doesn't take and rob from the rich and give to the poor. That's not what he does. This is to be a voluntary. But what he said was, what you don't want to do now is start charging usury. That is an unjust interest rate. You're not going to need to take away a man's bed. That's basically what taking this pledge from the poor was. uh, They would use their outer garments to cover up at night. That's all they had. It was their cushion. It was their help. And God said, I don't like you taking advantage of the poor and treating them in an unjust manner. Remember, I talked to you about God being interested in justice and that it's not some ethereal theorem that is for academic study as it is today. God said, I want to see justice. I want to witness justice. Justice has to do With tangibility. It has to do with treating people right and loving people and caring for people and making sure that people are not mistreated. God doesn't like these missives, misjudgment, mistreatment, all of these things. God gets in on that. And this is what many times He brought up as judgment against people and uh, cities and even nations. Uh, He says, they lie down by every altar on the clothes taken in pledge and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. He said, yet I was uh, the one who destroyed the Amorite before them whose height was like the height of the cedars. Talking about these Amorites being tall and strong as oaks. That uh, has to do with stability. Yet I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. God said I want to remind you Israel I want to remind you Judah that you didn't get the land that you have by your own strength. I was the one that did that. Many times God's people in ancient times and in modern times we Forget which side of the bread has the butter and who buttered it. It's God. God's the one that gives us everything we have, God is the one that gives us the victories we have. Many times I hear pastors bragging about their great campaigns and what they did and the promotions they did and the marketing they did and how that's what brought about the blessing of God. Well, it might have. God may have used those things, but the key word is the blessing of God, the blessing from God, the blessing that has its origin in God. God is the one that turns on the spout of blessing and he's the one that can turn it off. Everything you and I I have comes from the hand of a merciful, loving, gracious God. God owes you, God owes me nothing, nothing. Everything we have is by the grace of a loving, gracious God. And God reminded them that that land that they had, the houses they had, yes, they work for them, but God's the one that gave them the strength. God is the one that gave them the ambition. God is the one that gave them all that they had in order to have what they had. And they did not need to forget that. When it comes to verse 10, he said, also it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness. God said, I was so So good to you all of that time. I could destroy you at any moment. And by the way, they deserve to be destroyed just like you and I do in our own sin. The people rebelled against God from the very beginning. And even from the time that Moses received the law from the finger of Almighty God, before he could even get down, the first commandment had already been broken. Before he could even get down the mountain with the commandments to give to the people, they had already broken them. He says, I've raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink. See, a Nazarite vow meant that they couldn't drink wine all the days of their life. They couldn't cut their hair. And he said, you have encouraged them to drink. You've given them wine. And you said to the prophets, do not prophesy. We don't need to hear about what God says. He said, Behold, I'm weighed down by you. You, are, you have become a burden to me. Oh, my. To even think about you and I becoming a burden to God, a burden to the God who made us. In other words, God said, I am bearing you along. Amos was a great prophet, but he gave the bad news before he gave the good. And this is part of the bad news. Judgment was coming. And Amos just happened to be the messenger boy. You see, that's all a prophet is, is a messenger. The message doesn't come from them or it's not from God. But if it's from God, the prophets of God are to deliver it. The preachers of God, the proclaimers of God are to deliver the message. Would to God that men of God would stand and proclaim the unsearchable riches of the word of God and the unsearchable riches of Jesus the Messiah. For on the way, this is Tony Crisp.